We're continuing our series today on Am I Missing Something? And so for the duration of the series, we've been talking about the different ways that we feel like in our life we are missing out on God, that for some reason we feel deep in our heart God does exist, God is there, but we feel like we're missing out on Him in some ways. So uh, last week, I started this two-part message um, that addressed a few failures that keeps us from feeling like we can experience God. And this two-part message was about doing things God's way rather than doing it my way. And so the first two tendencies that I brought up that we, that we do in choosing our way over God's way is this. The first one was failure to recognize our place. So as we, as we were reminded, there are times in our life we fail to recognize our position with God's position. The second failure was failure to accept suffering as part of God's plan. So let me review that a little bit with you before we go on to today's message. Sometimes the reason we feel like we're missing out on God, according to that first failure, the failure to recognize our place, is simply this. We assume our thoughts to be on par or equal to God's thoughts and His ways. And so at times when we're trying to navigate and decide what is best for our life, what direction that we need to go in, and we want God to be a part of it, a lot of times we put in our thoughts, we insert our ways into it, and assume that that is most likely what God would want for us as well. And so we equate ourselves with God, and we fail to recognize our place, that He is God and we are not. The second thing that we do, this failure to accept suffering as part of God's plan is this. A lot of times, our, our assumptions that we carry about following God, is, is, it sounds like this. It's like, as long as I obey God, as long as I go to church and do my Bible reading, keep my nose clean, then He should bless me. Our association that we have in our relationship with God, it's kind of like prosperity. I scratch God's back a little bit in this kind of way, and God should make my life smoother. He should answer the prayers according to what I want. He should give me what I need to make me feel content, secure, and happy in my life. And so it's a kind of prosperity gospel that we hold on to without really stating for ourselves that this is prosperity that we're holding to in our relationship with God. You see, a lot of times we look at our outcome and when it involves suffering, when we don't get that job, when, when that relationship doesn't work out and, and, our, and our relationship with God involves some sort of suffering, we assume that there's something wrong with our relationship with God. We automatically assume that God isn't with us, that He is far away from us, that He's not close to us, that I'm doing something wrong or God doesn't exist because if a good God really existed, then how is it that he would allow me to go through various levels of hardship or suffering in my life? So today, uh, what I'm going to do is I want to wrap up this two-part message by addressing two more failures we are prone towards in learning how to live God's way. So two more failures we are prone towards doing when we're trying to learn to live God's way. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. 
uh, 1 through 14. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read it for us. I'll be reading from the NIV, and it reads this. You're all familiar with the passage. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and he reads this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How, will, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What, what we see here in this passage is we see failure number three and four. And the third failure that we are met with through Nicodemus is this, the failure to heed the power of the Holy Spirit. The failure to heed the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in our lives, there are some times as we journey with Jesus Christ and we've been going to church our whole life, just like Nicodemus, it feels like for some reason that there's a disconnect between what we hear and what we know we're supposed to experience about this intimacy and about this power of God to transform our life and the reality of what we're really experiencing in our everyday so Nicodemus, this is why we see uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus and asking him, hey, what's, what is all of this relationship with God all about? Because I have been going to church my whole life. And not only that, I've actually become a pastor. I became a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, I'm one of the religious leaders. But there's something that you experience and there's something that it seems different about how you experience God that I seem to be on the outside of. What am I missing? What am I missing? That everything that the Bible declares God to be somehow seems absent from my exposure, from my own experiences. You know, a lot of times uh, we see in Nicodemus this kind of envy. And it's the same envy that we have. We may not voice it all the time. But it is an envy that we have when we see other people who seem to have a, a deeper knowing of who Jesus is than we have access to. In the first few verses, we see a hint of this envy from Nicodemus as he shares with Jesus. 
basically, he grew up religious like uh, some of us. We grew up in the church. And he always tried to live within God's rules. Deep in his heart, like a lot of us, he knows that God exists. He knows that God is out there. But for some reason, God is not experienced in here, in his own heart. For whatever reason, God seems to operate in great ways and he hears these awesome testimonies of people drawing close to God or sees God doing great works outside. But inside of his own heart or within his own experiences, he's never experienced any of those things. God seems to be working in powerful ways through other people and in other people. But our ways, it just seems normative. We just seem to have this idea of God in our life, but no true experience. Look at how he verses this in in verse 2. It says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. So how does he know? He says this, Because no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's he's a religious leader. And he's looking at this Jesus. And as a religious leader himself, he knows that he should be experiencing all of these things. He's the one that's leading everyone else. Yet, Jesus seems to be experiencing so much more and to a depth that he does not know. And this is why even when the Pharisees did not like Jesus, all of them, they're just saying, you must come from God because the kind of intimacy and the kind of power that God seems to work in your life, no one can deny that there's something uh, supernatural that is happening in your life and through your life that I don't have access to. See, John, he wants to make sure that we don't miss this envy that Nicodemus has. And he adds this descriptor. He says, and then Nicodemus came to Jesus and he says, at night. You see, Pharisees, they wouldn't meet at night. They always met during the day. But for Nicodemus to go at night, what John is trying to bring in an illusion to is that Nicodemus is in the dark. He's blind in terms of this relationship with God that he is seeking. What's the secret to this? That I'm missing out on something more deeper. I have knowledge of it and I know it. And deep in my heart, I have a feeling that God is out there. But why does it feel like my life is not changed or impacted by God? See, this at night, it describes Nicodemus' state of heart and his mind. It's in the dark. He felt like he's in the dark in his relationship with God. Nicodemus is so curious. What's your secret, Jesus? What is it that unlocks that spiritual relationship, that depth, that reality, so I can have that same assurance that I see that you have, that same confidence that I see that you have in your life. And rather than me just going through this on a weekly, on a daily basis, trying to be a good religious person, but never experiencing power. See, Jesus already knows what's going on in his heart and Nicodemus doesn't even have to ask the question, right? He just, Nicodemus comments and Jesus understands right away what's going on in Nicodemus' heart. And this is why Jesus responds to Nicodemus in the following way. He says to him, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless they are born again. He says to Nicodemus, the reason why you feel like you're missing out, he says, the problem is this, you can't see God's kingdom. You can't see God at work in your life. You can't experience this unless, he says, you are born again. What does that mean, to be born again? Well, Warren Wearsby, he's another pastor scholar, he describes it in this kind of way. He says this, just as there are two parents for physical birth, so there are two parents for spiritual birth. The Spirit of God that we see in, in this passage, and also the Word of God that we see in James and First Peter. See, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, and when the sinner believes, imparts the life of God. You see, what's happening, what Warren Wiersbe is trying to say and trying to describe of what's going on in Nicodemus' life and parse what Jesus is trying to tell him is this. He's saying you need these two things. You need both the God's word and you also you need God's spirit to live in God's word in our life. And when that happens, it imparts this life of God, this understanding of God really exists, this experience of his presence in our life. The problem with Nicodemus is he was stuck at just the word of God. He had God's word as content. He had God's word of this knowledge and he was absorbing all of that and just trying to do what it says based on his own thoughts, his own ways, his own control of doing things. And what, God is, what Jesus was trying to tell him is that this Holy Spirit that enlivens that, that brings that to life, you are missing this. He's saying you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to bring to life in you God's living word. What does that really mean? It actually means learning how to give control over to God. You know, a lot of times we put that barrier there because we read God's word and we're serious about that. And we ask the same question. I go to Bible studies. I listen to sermons, right? And I do my own devotion and still I feel the same. Nothing changes. And the, the clue that Jesus gives to why nothing changes is that we just hold it there. We control it. We don't allow God's living word to penetrate past certain defenses or certain areas of our life that we say, no, the limit is here. And that's where the Holy Spirit wants to engage. You see, the Holy Spirit already begins to knock on certain doors of your life. And he says, open this door. Your part of your life in this area needs to absorb, needs to hear this living word. The Holy Spirit is knocking on that door to open it, to enliven in that word in that experience of your life. But a lot of us, we end up refusing to open those doors. We put up limits and saying, up to here, God, or I'm not ready for that yet. Or God, I'm not in a position where I can really do that. We limit the Holy Spirit from bringing new birth in into these different areas of our life for us to begin to experience God. See, it is for this reason, although this is explained to Nicodemus, he still struggles with it. And he still struggles with this concept. I don't understand. How do I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life? How do I allow that power to come? And say, I want that. I want all of that. 
And this is where Jesus reveals the second failure that Nicodemus has that we need to heed as well. And it's this. It's Nicodemus' failure to deal with unbelief. It's his failure to deal with unbelief. Look at how Nicodemus responds in verse 9. After Jesus says this, the Holy Spirit works in your life and he is like the wind. You don't know where it starts, right? But you can sense it. In the same way, sometimes in our life, we can't control the wind. But there are times in our life, we sense it. The, the Holy Spirit is leading or putting pressure on us in a certain way, right? And he says, it's like the wind. When it blows this way, you follow its lead. But the problem is, our unbelief gets in the way. We stop it. We resist it. We stand against the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So look at how Nicodemus responds in verse 9. He says, how can this be? He reveals his unbelief. I don't get it, God. How does, I don't get, how does this work? You see, despite Jesus telling him you must be born of spirit and the way of the spirit to lead us, it cannot be planned out by us. Nicodemus responds with, still, how does that work? Right? Again, he's saying, let me control it, right? And let me try to make it work in my life. And I want to make it work the way that I want to make it work. What Nicodemus is really saying is, I can't understand things that I cannot control. That's really his problem. That's his, the source of his unbelief. I can't understand things that I cannot control. It doesn't make sense. See, a lot of us, when we recognize the pattern of our life, we see that we struggle with this unbelief because of our expertise. We struggle with unbelief because of our expertise. We allow our expertise to get in the way. What do I mean by this? Well, let me bring it at a very general level. Have you guys, and I'm sure almost all of you guys have done this because I've done this so many times. How many of you guys have ever said, God, if you only allow me to get an A on this test, right? I promise, right, that I will worship you every Sunday. I'll read my Bible every day and I'll donate all this money to missions, right? How many of you guys said something similar to that? I promise. If I, and then we get the A, right? As soon as we get the A, what happens? God, come on, you know me, I'm so busy. I got to maintain my other A's and all. We become an expert, right? Because all of a sudden we're like, wow, I'm doing pretty good with my life, right? We become an expert in our studies. We don't really need God anymore, right? Because we feel like, yeah, he answered and, or, or maybe I studied really well and I, don't, I didn't really need him. And so we just go on our own way because we feel like I don't need to make those promises, I don't need to spend time more with God because I'm an expert of what is best for my life. It's the same thing happened with me in ministry. I realized early on when I was going into ministry, I didn't have the background that a lot of these seminarians had. A lot of them, they grew up in very theological churches. They knew so much and they had so much experience already. But for me, I didn't. I didn't even have youth pastors growing up. We, we were a small church in the boonies somewhere. And, and because of that, youth pastors would not come. And so I'm just trying my best in that kind of thing. And a lot of my theology is, is messed up because I never had proper instruction. And then in that state, I go to seminary and all of these people are so gifted. They know what to do in di different situations. They know how to lead ministries and big environments and to guide people. 
to experience God in, in greater and deeper ways. And I'm just standing in awe. Like, how do they do that? God, I'm not even qualified to stand among them. How am I supposed to be a pastor? And I recognized during those days in seminary, I'd be on my knees all the time saying, God, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. If you're not going to work, there's nothing that can be done with these kids. They're stuck with me, right? They could have had better pastors or better leaders, more qualified, but they have me. I'm not qualified. I'm not an expert. I need your help. But in those days, I saw God work. How God worked, I don't know. But youth would change. God's spirit would move. Not because of my expertise. It's because of my knees. I'd be going down on my knees all the time saying, God, you got to make this work. And when I experienced that, I became more and more convinced God is who he says he is. But here's the problem. I became an expert. I began to see, oh yeah, God works in these kind of ways. I need to do this. I became, became formulaic in my mind and, and routine in the way that I do things. And I just followed these certain routines. And less and less, I followed God's spirit. More and more, I just felt like I know what to do. I don't need to really get on my knees so much anymore. I know how the things work and God will still use me. And so I would do my thing. And I would lean more on my charisma or on my preparation than I did on God's spirit. See, brothers and sisters, we begin to develop habits in our life where we become so experts at the way that we live our life and we have our life routines that we develop unbelief in how God wants to work in our life. What begins to happen is really this. The more expert we become, in a certain pattern of our life, the less imagination we develop, the less willingness to be creative and to take risks. Because it's from our expertise, we develop certain routines and we developed a certain reputation, we developed a certain lifestyle. But when we follow God's spirit, there's that risk of what if I lose that? I can't miss out on these kind of things. These programs that I have for my kids on Sundays, you know, it's a struggle for me. Eden has baseball on Sundays, and he has to miss a lot of it because of Sunday worship. And I don't want to compromise, but at the same time, I want him to go because I feel like he's going to miss out. You know, there's so many times where I want to just take control, and it becomes my unbelief. Because I think I know what's best for him. I think I know what's best for my family. That in those routines, as soon as they get established, my mind narrows in how God can work. I don't have room for creativity or to take risks. See, Nicodemus had this kind of set life. And from childhood all the way to where he is today, he gained a certain reputation among his faction, the Pharisees. And for him to follow God's spirit at this time means the risk of losing his position in society. Losing his job as a Pharisee because everyone else was against Jesus. Losing his identity to be led by the spirit. 
See, he couldn't see how God could possibly work in his life if he lost his identity as a Pharisee. That's the narrowing of a vision. And a lot of times for us, we do the same thing. I don't know how God could fit into my life when it's so busy as it is. That's a narrowing of vision. I don't know what more God can do in my life when I already know what I need to do with my life. That's a narrowing of vision because we become an expert at what we're doing. You see, his vision was limited by his unbelief and God wanted to impart on him a divine imagination saying, I want to lead you this way. See, the example that Jesus gives to Nicodemus for him to understand how this works is he says, remember Moses when I told him to lift up the bronze snake in the middle of the wilderness, right? And the purpose of the bronze snake was this, is once it's up there, he says, find the highest hill in the wilderness that you are encamped at and put that bronze snake on top because there were poisonous snakes that were coming out and biting the Israelites and they were dying. And so God says to Moses, this is the answer. And what I want you to tell the people to do is as soon as they got bitten by a venomous snake, I want them to get in a position, run if they must, right? To find an, a, a line of sight where they can see that bronze snake. And once they see it, they will be, they will be healed. Now, in the midst of a time where, you know, idol worship was rampant and all this kind of stuff, you know, they got in trouble about the calf and everything. It didn't make sense, right? Like, God, how does that make sense? And not only that, when you get bit by a venomous snake, everyone knows you bring your blood circulation down. You try to be as restful as possible to not allow the poison to spread. You need to call someone to suck out that poison, right? So, and then tell someone else to get help because you don't want to raise up your heartbeat, but what does he say? He says, no, get up, find your way, and, and raise up your heartbeat, and look for the bronze snake, and you will be healed. He says, this in this way, risking everything, elevating your heart rate to the point where he's saying, if this doesn't work, right, I'm in big trouble. This is what Jesus says when he says, rely on my spirit. When my spirit leads you, it's going to feel like that. You just got bit by a venomous snake or you just got bit by a very difficult thing in your life, right? And you know there's two options that you have. Number one is the safe option. You know what to do and it gives you the best chance of surviving in that place or as you feel the spirit knocking on your heart and saying, go this way, it's risking everything to go that way. And Jesus says, that is being born of the Spirit. That is when we begin to get a taste of who God really is in our life, that he is good. You know, there's another uh, story a bit later on in Mark chapter 9, verse 21 to 25, where it shows a story of a desperate father whose son is demon-possessed since childhood and keeps throwing him into water to drown him or into fire to burn him. And he's saying, can someone help my son? And he's beyond me medicine at this time. There's nothing that could help his son. And he brings him to Jesus because he hears that Jesus is his holy man. And in desperation, he asks Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything. Notice the words that he chooses. 
if you can. I'm not sure if you can. You claim yourself to be God. You claim yourself to be sovereign. So, but if you can, help us. And Jesus wants to make sure that he understands who he's addressing. Do you, are you addressing me as God, right? As the Messiah. Because if you are, then why do you ask if you can? Of course I can. And he says this, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who trusts in me. That's the answer. This is the problem with our unbelief. If we don't trust in Jesus, we trust in the other things that we have, our money, our security, our job position, our relationships. We trust these things. The reason why we say if Jesus can do anything, it's because we don't trust him. And so this man says the most oxymoronic thing that anyone can think of, but it's so true because it's the thing that we say all the time. He says to Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What does that mean? I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He's saying the same thing that Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, same thing that we, most of us have problem with, saying, I believe in God, right? I believe he is out there. Right? I believe he exists and nothing will turn my heart away from Jesus, but help me overcome my unbelief. I struggle to trust him at these major junctures of my life. I know God is there, but I really struggle to trust him, to believe he really is who he says he is. See, later on, we see Nicodemus. So where did Nicodemus go from there? Because the story leaves Nicodemus at that place. But Nicodemus' heart, it begins to change. Because in John, when we get to John chapter 19, verse 39, we see that Nicodemus is one of only two people that had the courage to go up to the Roman government to ask for Jesus' body so that they could give it a proper preparation for burial. It was him and Joseph of Arimathea. Right? So Nicodemus, he has to go to the Roman government where with the Roman government are most likely the Pharisees as well, his own sect. And he's putting his whole life on the line because they'll be asking, what are you doing here, Nicodemus? Right? You're part of us. Why would you do this? This guy, he's a blasphemer. He doesn't, he's trying to ruin us. But Nicodemus, he now puts all on the line because you can imagine it's the Holy Spirit at that moment is knocking on his heart. And for the first time, Nicodemus is is saying to himself, I'm not going to miss this ride. If the Holy Spirit is knocking my heart this time and my whole life, I've been wanting to experience that God really is who he says he is. And if he is, then he knows the plans that he has for my life. Plans to prosper not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope in the future. And even though my expertise has narrowed my vision and I can't see my life outside of the Pharisaic group, I will listen to the Holy Spirit this time. I will use this junction of my life to follow what the Holy Spirit has to say. And so he goes and he risks all of that and he takes his body down and he wraps it for burial. Remember, Nicodemus, 
he seems to have connected what Jesus shared about the bronze snake in the desert. Where he says, once a bronze snake was erected, and the people, once they were bitten, and they knew that there was no life but death that was approaching, they had two choices. Save yourself or look to Christ or look to God. And Nicodemus is in that juncture too, saying the current path that I'm going right now, it's death. I believe in God, but there's no life in it. It's just leading to death. This is my only chance. And so Jesus is erected at the hill of Golgotha. And Nicodemus, wherever he is at, he gets out of his comfort zone. And he risks his life, risks everything to go in search of seeing Jesus. And when he does, he trusts in Jesus' way. His prayer is answered. God helps him overcome his unbelief. Brothers and sisters, are we like Nicodemus? Where we're religious in every sense, but lifeless when it comes to faith. Perhaps we too need to heed the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we need to overcome our unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time to go through your word, to be challenged by your word. And as your Holy Spirit begins to knock on each one of our hearts, help us to listen, Lord. Help us to respond. Help us to come to a place where we just say, Lord, I've been living the same kind of routine my whole life and nothing has ever changed. I might as well start today to lay all things at your feet, to risk whatever I feel like I may lose because I trust that you are good. I trust that you will lead me. I trust the plans that you have before me are there to prosper and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. Help me, Father Lord, that whenever your spirit erects Christ in whatever hill of my life, may I seek him, Lord, at the risk of everything else. Thank you, Father. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.